Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. everybody and welcome to another episode of 30 minutes to president's club i'm your host nick sigelski and i'm joined by the wonderful co-host armand Farouk, and we've got an amazing guest today harry lort phillips he's a director of sales over at pave this is a phenomenal episode about navigating and structuring the way that you work through discounts and timeline signing with your customer armand why should people listen well folks surprise surprise I hired Harry early on at PAVE, and he, to this day, is one of the best managers I've ever hired, which is why he's now a director. And the reason he was so good as a manager is he is the king of process. What he does is he figure out what a prospect's number needs to be, and then he finds three, four, five different ways to lock them into that number and make sure that a deal never slips. Three, two, one, don't slip through this episode. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Harry, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. 
Cool. Assign values to your discounts. So what do I mean by assigning values to your discounts? Effectively, prospects are really going to want one thing, right? They're going to ensure that they want, they have all the right products and they got them for the right price and that they have some sort of commercial discount applied to that kind of bundled product stack. And so when you get into the meat and potatoes of a negotiation, there's a few things that you really want, right? And one of those is generally speaking that you want them to sign really quickly. And what your finance team usually cares about is that they sign on for a long period of time. So if you're going to give them a 15 percent discount to make them happy the thing you care about is them signing quickly give that 10 percent give the multi-year five and kind of work from there uh, what can also be really helpful is to give them some directional levers up front ahead of that conversation for them to talk to their finance team about so they can come to you with a point of view as well boom beautiful what's number two power of the pause i know that people talk about the power of the pause quite a lot i see it go really well when you use it incredibly tactically and you make a concerted effort to pause and a really easy way to do that is to leverage your headset so something that i see one of our really effective solutions engineers do is that when he goes on a riff tied to some sort of pain that we've uncovered that we've then shown them we solve, he actually puts his headphones on mute and gives the prospect an opportunity to digest that information and then ask a question. Something I see happen a lot with reps on gongs is you can see the prospect just about to ask a question, they go and dive into something else. I was going to pause here, but I didn't want dead air. So round us out. What's tip number three? All right, next, next steps. So what I like to do is kind of present a fork in the road at the top of a call, obviously allow the prospect to know what they've got in front of them right now and what you would expect to do on the following call. So that might look like, hey, typically in this call, we're going to talk about X. And on the next call, we're gonna talk about why. That actually allows them to opt in and out at the end of that call and also know what they're in for leading up towards the end of that call as well. All right, Harry. So I've seen you on calls before. When someone asks you for a discount, I know you don't lay out the poo-poo platter and say, <laughs> it's 2% for a case study. It's 8% for signing at the end of this week. I know you're a little bit more articulate than that. Yeah, I did my best. How do you lay out and attach values to different parts of a discount? Yeah, so I think the most important thing to understand is that there, you already know the things that your finance team are going to approve and also say your VP of sales are going to approve. Like, you know what those are up front. You also generally know what the customer cares about and it's getting the best price. So with that in mind, something to kind of pressure test or give some homework to your champion is to lay out what directional levers are. So when I present list price for the first time, I actually have another box on the far right, which says, hey, if you can do any of these things, I can get you a discount. A really obvious one is bundling products. That's kind of like a vanity discount, but then there's mm -hmm. time to signature, customer reference, multi-year, and probably a plethora of other ones, depending on kind of how big of a logo they are. Let them directionally tell you, hey, this is something that I think we love. We love multi-year, so that works. Then what you'll say to them is like, go take that away to finance. Let me know how they receive list price and then what they care about. And then I'll come and sharpen my pencil in terms of what I've had approved from my finance team. And that's where like the real negotiation starts. How do you voice it over? So I'm curious, you're going through the proposal. You're talking about, hey, you said you have this problem. This is how this product helps. It costs this. You said you have this problem. This is what this product helps. This costs this. So you take them through like your normal proposal. Yeah. And then you get to the end how do you voice over the next piece without coming across like the rep who's like, 
even if it's too expensive, wait, I can give you a discount. Let me tell you about the levers available. Yeah. So as, as you can tell, I'm Australian. So I like to kind of play that up in the sense that I knock, I knock myself about somewhat. So what I'll generally do is I'll walk them through what we've agreed is the ultimate package that they want, right? And so you've got your standard pricing and packaging. We're moving pretty aggressively up market. And so we're kind of like piecemealing some things together. And so I'll then orient them on, hey, this is what I know you want. This is the optimal package. This is how much it costs. And then these are the things that can move the needle for you. I then mm -hmm. say every single time, I would be incredibly good at my job if you paid $330,000 for this package in this market, right? So let's talk together on some of these things that you know from buying software in the past might move the needle and we'll work together on getting you all the products you want at a price your finance team's happy with, within reason. Harry, I, I've seen you do this really, really well before. I've also seen us both grow through the pain where you finally land at these set of commercial terms and lo and behold, you have a champion who didn't actually know how to get their deal done on time, or they weren't the final say and someone else wants a final chunk. And now they're anchored at this 18% discount that you've given them, but they're not upholding their end of the bargain. So what are you doing before this or during this to make sure that if you give them a discount, they even have the ability to follow through on their word? So something that the reason why this kind of menu of discount levers is really effective, Armand, is that, as you know, the champion specifically probably has no ability to approve any of these things. The economic buyer probably has some, and then the CFO inevitably is going to approve the whole thing. And so by them going and pressure testing some of your asks, like let's pretend you ask for logo rights, they're probably going to go and have to talk to their marketing team, right? So they're starting to move the needle and build a business case internally. The best mm -hmm. thing you can do is get kind of like bilateral buy-in across the different organizations around the things you're asking for inside of that commercial agreement to pressure test whether this thing is real. The second thing, if it all goes horribly wrong, Armand, I think what you're alluding to is you put 15% on time to signature and they miss the deadline like they always do. Generally, you're like, well, that's gone, right? Because you missed it. What I've seen in this market is that you inevitably, let's all be honest with ourselves, end up giving them the same price if they sign it in a reasonably good amount of time, right? I.e. maybe it slips a week or two but maybe you ask for an additional gift. Maybe there's something they pushed back on originally that you wanted included that they said no to, that you say, hey, for me to get this reapproved for you, my VP of finance is gonna ask for this thing that I asked for originally, and you're gonna throw that in as well. So one of the interesting things about what you just described is you're making your champion go confer with other departments, like with the case study piece, which necessitates them to multi-thread or at least build consensus across the organization and if they get their head bit off by marketing being like why are we even looking at this thing that informs a bit of the the deal and how you and the champion navigate it together i'm curious about how you choose to assign percentage or dollar discounts to specific elements of the I don't know what you want to call them, levers to pull, yeah. i.e., okay, sign by this date, do a case study, do this one more thing. Yeah. Do you say, oh, this one's 6%, this is 3%, this is 2%. How are you thinking about ascribing value to that stuff? 
So I'll ask Armand a question. What kills all deals, Armand? Time, Harry. It's always time. <laughs> time. Exactly. So generally speaking, the highest weighted percentage is going to be time to signature. Uh, initially, when you've gone through that proposal and you've said, hey, based on the things that we need to get done between now and having you live in the product, it feels like we need to get you signed on this date. Does this sound good, right? If they agree to that date and you've spelled out the procurement process and you feel like they at least directionally know what they're doing, then anchor that time to signature on that date and maybe bring it forward a week. Be like, hey, I got really aggressive because I want you to sign a week earlier. How does that sound, right? That's what we as salespeople care the most about. Then from there, work within the constraints of your business and the things that your department leaders care about. So generally you want to get something for your CS team or your finance team, which is multi-year or perhaps an increase in year two and three, right? But a future discount because they're growing so quickly is one way to think about it as well when you actually communicate that to the customer. And then generally speaking, like my marketing team love some sort of logo rights. And so for me, you look at what's a reasonable number knowing what I know about this customer and what they've the original feedback they gave me on list price. And then how do I build a discount narrative that gets me to where I need to get to that makes sense to them? Talk to me about that building of a discount narrative, because I imagine there are some reps that are hearing this where they're like, cool, I'm going to give values to three different things. And I'm going to say, boom, 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 look at the discount. So when I'm thinking about describing discounting reason yeah. for it, and what you're expecting in return, how do you actually craft that narrative? So obviously we're anchoring on getting them the best deal possible because at the end of the day, you wanna be on the same side of the table as them, right? It's like, hey, I wanna get you paid. I wanna get you at a, a price that's reasonable that I know that I can get approved and I wanna get it in your hands as quickly as you need it, right? And so from there, I use like, I have a, a different kind of thread for each. So when I'm thinking about time to signature, I'm not saying I want you to sign quickly because I want a commission check because they're going to be like, of course you do, you're a salesperson, right? We talk more around the implementation post-sales experience. So, hey, the quicker you get in front of the team, the more they can budget the headcount that you need to get this stood up in time, which de-risks the entire implementation process. They actually love being able to budget for you one month ahead instead of on the month, i.e. if you sign in the last week of the month versus the middle of the month, they can assign you your CS rep and your implementation manager in the last week of this month. And I can save you a lot of money because I'll go get that approved from them. Similarly, we kind of want to make the renewal story a little bit of a pain in the ass, so to speak, right? It's like when we think about standing up new software, particularly as you move up market, usually takes six to nine months to actually get it in the hands of the teams that bought it. What's the, the last thing that they want to do is worry about a renewal three to four months after that point. And so we'll actually talk to them about, hey, we've gone down this six to nine month kind of partnership scoping exercise. Seems a little silly to be getting into bed with each other for 12 months and not 36 months. And in doing so, that's what my finance team cares about. So I'll go and build in a discount for that multi-year agreement. And I'll save you a ton of time worrying about a renewal and having to speak to me for another six months in nine months time. We haven't talked much on the show about multi-year deals. Harry, I'm curious, let's say someone's like, I want to do a two-year deal or a three-year deal. I've yeah. heard ridiculous things scoped into agreements. I've heard unlimited seats, flats. I've heard a discount on all tiers, but we reevaluate how many users you have every single year. 
what are the different ways that I can structure a multi-year agreement to make it seem enticing to the prospect, but also not destroy my customer success team for three years? Yeah. So I don't disagree. I think the world that we live in today is that if you're in a business where you believe that that you're going to delight the customer with the product, uh, you have an engineering or product or get our shipping new features and products at a regular enough cadence, let's call it every one quarter to six months. I feel like we should have conviction as a sales team in landing everything the customer needs and understanding what they may need in the future. I think what we used to do in the past is bundle everything together and hope for the best, right? And that's why we got these terrible renewal outcomes. But if you can layer in, hey, I'm going to give you this in year one, which is everything you need today. I'm going to actually build in, we're not going to tell them this, I'm going to build in a product upsell in year two. The product, you know, the differential between the product you've added and the new suite is actually a lot higher than the increase in the contract that you've delivered to them. But it might still be 15% up from year one, which is great for the customer success team. And what you've actually done is listened to hey, this is where we are today. This is where we want to get to in the future. And I've actually built you a custom proposal that gets you there in year two. Interesting. How do so, I stop the cap thing? We can talk about that. Yeah. And so let's actually really unpack this. So let's say that your year one pricing is $50,000, right? Yes. What would, and we'll call it $50,000 for 50 seats. Just really simple math, right? Knowing that that's not actually yes. how it would work. What would year two and yeah. year three look like in a multi-year deal so it depends and i mean I, why i say it depends is that's a good that's always a good uh, answer to have in sales because i don't think you should have a answer for something that's specific to the customer and what i mean by that is is that you're not going to be able to build them the right proposal on a multi-year agreement by plugging and playing some sort of formula you actually need to listen to like where they're trying to get to so what do we want to do what's an immediate need and how can pave solve it here's all the great stuff that we do there's a world in which i can save you a lot of money up front if you agree to buy that in year two the trade-off is if you don't, you kind of need to go and speak to our CS team. And as you know, they're kind of trying to get you 20% up. So I can see if I can get that to you uh, at a really good click today. Can you give me a bit more flavor around the top of your question? And I'll go a little deeper for you. So it sounds cool. like what you're doing is year one, we call it $50,000. What you might do is you yep. might say for year two, look, you got two options. We can bake in a 20% increase, which is what customer success wants to see. And that's just going to be a 20% increase for honestly, like the, the thing that you already bought today so that we can get good net revenue retention, or you could agree to upsell to 60 or $65,000 and get even more products that you're interested in, but might not be ready to buy today. Is that correct? That is correct. And why that's more compelling is that as much as we, we like to say that our product is worth 20% more the following year, in the customer's eyes, it's not, right? But if you're giving them products that solve a problem that down the line they know is going to be an issue and you're building that into a plan, that's a much easier narrative for them to then present to finance. Because the first thing finance are going to say is they're going to say, I want a flat renewal for three years if I'm going to sign a three-year agreement, or I want a price cap, like you mentioned, Armand, at 3%. And we know that that's never going to get approved by our finance team. So how do we kind of meet in the middle? And meeting in the middle is like listening to their long-term vision and the things they're trying to solve and trying to piece together the different solutions that aren't quite right now, but are ready down the line. So what you're doing is you're working likely with a growing organization that has goals as to where they want to get. 
And what you're doing is you're building into years two, three, four of the contract, either more products. They're not ready to buy it this year, but next year they're like, oh, we really would like that. Okay, you're going to be upsold by CS anyway. Let's just give you that product now. I've got a lot more latitude when you're buying this now than you will have with our CS team in a year. And so you're either increasing the total num the scope of what they get from you with that baked in upsell, or it sounded like you're doing the same thing with user seats where it's almost like tiered growth, where it's like, you're going to need more people. You told me you're focused on growing. Let's just give you those seats next year at a discounted rate, which you're not going to get from CS. Am I getting that right, Harry? Yeah. The only other reason we do this as well is like, if you think about the market we're in right now, right? Budgets are pretty tight. Mm -hmm. Incremental budgets are somewhat non-existent, right? And so generally speaking, you're not going to be able to land everything they need now, but the prospect really wants to get you as a line item in front of their mm -hmm. finance team this year. And so in doing so, what you can say is, hey, like, let's just get you what you need now. I'll work on commercial terms that get you the dollar number that you need to get to. But in doing so, we also scope these other three products that you would really love, but don't have the budget for today. So let's spend all of next year building that into your budget alongside your finance team but I'm also going to build that into your contract, right? And so year one might be 80K with two products and then year two might be 190K with five products, but they've signed up for that and they've signed up for the work that it's going to take to build that into their budget the following year. Luckily, they've got about 14 months of runway to kind of work that out. So Harry, I've also seen a very common ask to your point be some people want 50K, 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 three years in a row mm -hmm. or 50 50 plus 3%, 50 plus 3%. They want a flat agreement and as many users as humanly possible. And you don't just want to say no, but usually you can't get those types of agreements approved. So my question yeah. for you would be, what do you do when someone's asking for those flat agreements? And then two would be, are there any rare circumstances under which you would allow a flat agreement or what's oftentimes referred to as an ELA or an enterprise license. <laughs> Candidly, if I was in the finance team, there would be a couple of instances where I would agree to flat. If they were buying a package that's like the bare minimum package, right? And we believe in our product and our post-sales experience that we can upsell them other products throughout the duration of a two, three-year agreement. In my opinion, now I'm not a VP of finance. I think that's still a pretty good deal, right? Because you can forecast that revenue over time. They would tell me that inflation is something that you should consider. So I would say, yes, there are instances where a flat makes sense. The best way to kind of counter that is really to just essentially put it back. It's not going to be the champion you're having this conversation with, right? They were already sold that they want pave or whatever it may be kind of now or as soon as possible. And they've gone and thrown you into in front of a, procurement manager or perhaps a VP of finance who cares about the things that they care about, which is also forecasting their costs over the next three to four years, really just having a very open dialogue around like how they think about their own business and why our VP of finance would equally not want that as an outcome of a software agreement. I know that sounds a little bit abrasive. You can work on the delivery a little bit, but they start to understand that they're asking that because they have to, because it would be silly for them not to, but it's generally an ask in vain. I don't believe for a minute 
that any procurement or finance team actually thinks that you should agree to a 3% cap for the next 10 years. How would you voice that over? Good question. So it's happened to me a couple of times and I've tried a, di a couple of different approaches. I think I have, like I touched on, the benefit of an accent on my side. So sometimes maybe that softens the blow a little bit, but I always take a step back and talk around my experience with finance and, and in theory, not so much throw my VP of finance under the bus, but restate what he cares about. And so when I say, hey, I hear you on the why, it makes sense that you want to be fiscally responsible over the next one, two to three years. By the same token, if I think about what my finance team cares about today, it's steady growth, right? And signing every, every customer up to a three or four year agreement with a 3% cap doesn't actually show steady growth to our investors. So what I would say is, is if this is like a non-starter table stakes for you, let's simplify this whole thing, right? We wanted to get you to 50K because that's the number you wanted. I'm just going to go and trade out this multi-year thing that I gave you for 10%. I'm going to throw this in and I'm going to give you 50 for one year and we can just run the gauntlet again in a year's time. By the time you've got in front of that person, I guarantee that's off the table and they'll actually start to talk to you because they've now gotten into bed with the idea of some sort of multi-year agreement. And so you need to kind of push away a little bit and typically they'll lean back in. The other thing on the point of pushing away is... I may or may have done, not have done this in a past job, but I have been prompted by similar types of prospects to Harry for a flat deal. And let's say that we take that 50K example. Oftentimes what would happen in a three-year deal is if someone's growing, they're buying more product, they're going to go from 50 to maybe 65 to maybe 80 in year three, just by growing as a company over time and by buying more products. And so what I'm going to tell them is the exact same thing that Harry just said around what our finance team cares about which is, hey, our finance team really cares about showing expansion over time. If you want a flat deal, we have to satisfy the other thing that finance wants. Finance would be happy to see higher than normal ACV deals up front. And so instead of it being 50, 65, 80, the first thing is if you triple in size, we have to have like a balloon clause in this. So there has to be a cap on the number of seats. So you don't go from 500 people to 20,000 people and you're still paying the 50K. So there has to be a balloon clause. But then the other thing is we can make it flat, but that means you're willing to take a 30% price increase today and keep that flat three years in a row. And so what you do is you say, hey, your total contract value, your TCV over three years in a flat deal, yes, will be a little bit lower, but you're going to pay way more this year if you want a flat deal because the flat deal needs to accommodate for the fact that in future years, you will be under market price. And usually when you give people the option of 50, 65, 80, or 70, 70, 70, they will almost always pick 50, 65, and 80 as the better deal for them long-term. Harry, I want to ask you a little bit about some of the stuff you're doing with procurement. And you mentioned in the prep call for this where you'll actually game plan with your champion the approach that you'll take with procurement. And I'm wondering if you can talk through that. Yeah, so generally speaking, if I think about how a deal kind of comes to fruition is, let, you know, you've, let's pretend in a perfect world, it just never works out this way. You've got the perfect disco call, you've got the perfect multi-thread demo, you've got a champ sandwich on either side of that multi-thread demo. And then you go, then they are asking, okay, when can I have this thing? How much does it cost and what can I buy, right? So in that meeting where you're kind of doing a, 
I'm going to call it a V1 proposal. The taking a step back, the last thing I ever want to see is a rep going in with like finalized commercials when they first show price, right? Because that's where the negotiation begins. But what you're doing in that initial proposal alongside maybe power and the champion, knowing that in this market, you're obviously going to get thrown to procurement or finance is walking them through from what you've heard, the products that they want, right? So, Hey, this is everything we do. We do 15 things and it sounds like you need these five. So that actually is slightly outside of our current pricing and packaging. So I've put together a little bit of an optimal pricing package for you. And this is how much it costs. On the right-hand side of that, you've got the directional levers that actually highlight to them what you may be able to move the needle on. And in doing that, you're getting them to buy into, A, you've got the pr proposal right, and B, pressure test some of the things that you can weave into what is going to be a V2 proposal. And the ask in that call is, hey, I'm going to be doing myself a little bit of a disservice if I just come to you with a final number because it's just not how this thing works, right? So what I would ask of you is if you really want PAVE, present this slide to your finance team and get a reaction out of them. I'm going to tell you they're probably going to say it's too expensive. That's their job. What I would like you to ask them is of these levers, what do they care about? And B, what's their price, right? Then you're going to come back and talk together around the number they gave you and the things that they care about. And you're going to try and meet them in the middle within reason, but expect to always be told that it's too expensive. I've never worked anywhere where I've been told that it's the perfect price. So you've had the conversation with your champion. They've come back to you and they've given you some direction around the things that the finance team cares about. And what you're doing on that call is saying, hey, this is what I would like to present alongside you with the finance team, right? We've gone from 100K to 80K. We're going to work on a three-year agreement. We're going to sign in three weeks time and we're going to do a number of other things. And we're going to present that as a group. From there, you're actually talking to them a little bit more around how you're going to educate the procurement team about how you got to that package in the first place. And the number one thing you're going to tell them is, is that I'm going to get you paved at the right price with the products you want. But I just want you to know is that if they want me to go deeper, because you told me they want 50 and I can get you to 75, which feels reasonable, I'm going to have to pull products away, right? That's the only way I can go further down from here. Generally speaking, if you've got a really good relationship, is they're going to be like, please don't do that, right? So in doing so, when you get on that call alongside your champ, you're going to start to feel a bit of friction between the finance team, the champion and yourself. You're on the same side of the table as them. The procurement team has now become the bad cop. And generally speaking, you're going to start to see them flex up a little bit in terms of their price because they want their department cross-functional partner to be happy as well, but they also want to win. Really um, good. Man, Harry, I feel like we could talk about this forever, but we are running out of time and we got to move to the final question. And the final oh. question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing, and now I got to ask you about a shouldn't. And so the final question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? Great question. My rule is to never skip steps. So what I mean by that is, and what I've seen tactically happen a lot with my reps is that they get an inbound from a past champion at a new company. And that person is ready to buy PAVE. Apparently they're always ready to buy PAVE. Unfortunately, <laughs> they're new to the business and they need to learn a lot as they go. And so I always request that reps actually take a step back. Now, they don't need to go and show the whole PAVE stack again and again to this person, but what they do need to do is actually understand A, what that person's role is at that new company and B, how that company actually buys software. And more often times than not, 
that past champion actually doesn't have a great idea of how that works. And so walking them back through that buying process and kind of giving them a playbook on the questions to ask internally and how you can get that done together will always lead to a faster sales cycle. Boom, beautiful. Harry, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Harry Lord Phillips include number one, anytime you're asking about a get, you got to sell why it's important to the business. For example, you might be able to get ahead in implementation season if your prospect moves a little bit faster. That will allow you to place them with an even better CSM. Number two, assign values to the different gets inside of a discount and put these literally on a slide so they can share them with their finance team. Number three, when you're turning down bad deals, you got to walk them through what specifically your finance team is going to have issues with and why their ask for a three-year flat deal is out of market, but then offer them alternative commercial structures, whether it's a single-year deal or a multi-year deal that achieve the same outcome. And lastly, number four, if someone slips on a timeline commitment, you might have to honor the same number, let's be honest, but you can always take one of the other gets that they declined earlier and asked them to give you that instead. Alrighty, Nick, how can people help us out here? All right, so this episode is going to make you a lot of money and keep you from throwing your commission check right out the window. And my guess is you want your colleagues to not throw their commission check in the trash. Because if you all have a wonderful 
end of year and you make some good money, you might be able to go out for guacamole together and enjoy some time as a team because you haven't thrown your commission check out. So my recommendation, share this episode with somebody on your sales team that you would like to enjoy a nice bowl of guacamole and some tortilla chips with so that you all can afford that delicious meal. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on the show. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Super Cadence by Influ2, which helps cut through the noise of oversaturated prospecting channels. If you want to get your prospect's attention, you got to do stuff a robot would never do. One of my favorite plays is getting warm introductions to the accounts that I'm targeting via salespeople who work at that account. Salespeople help salespeople. Another approach could be using Super Cadence to run SDR ads to put a face to the name. Now, we worked with Influ2 to put together a special toolkit on ways to humanize your outreach, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Notes.